Today on the Courage of a Leader podcast, you can be inspired and impressed by Eric Larson, Tilia Holdings co-founder, co-CEO, and chairman. Eric's mission is to transform the effectiveness and efficiencies in the food supply industry, focusing on food safety, nutrition and wellness, and sustainability. I'm glad you're here to listen in to discover the innovative ways he's approaching his commitment. And I know you'll walk away with some important insights. Welcome to the Courage of a Leader podcast. This is where you hear real life stories of top leaders achieving extraordinary results. And you get practical advice and techniques you can immediately apply for your own success. This is where you will get inspired and take bold, courageous action. I'm so glad you can join us. I'm your host, Amy Riley. Now, are you ready to step into the full power of your leadership and achieve the results you care about most? Let's ignite the courage of a leader. Eric, I'm excited to have you with me on the Courage of a Leader podcast today. And I'm excited about the topic we've decided to discuss. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Amy. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I talk in my programs, I describe in my book, a concept called a leadership legacy. And I know that you can relate to this, Eric. A leadership legacy is the bigger picture purpose to our leadership. We bring it to all areas of our life. We bring it to different organizations, different projects, different relationships. Uh, it's what can call us forward. And I know that you are living your leadership legacy. You are clear about your purpose. And when you look at the different skill sets and the different experiences that you had and how you're bringing them all together today, it tells a powerful story. Can you tell us the high-level version of that story? How did you discover your purpose and what is it? Well, I had a, I had a, a kind of a, a coach, or I guess he was really more like a friend who unfortunately has passed away a number of years ago, much too young in age. But yeah. uh, his name is John Briscoe, and he was uh, the head of the water programs for the for the World Bank all around the world. That was most of his career, and they were always very complex projects. So when I got to know him, I asked him how he how he managed these complex projects. Yeah. And he said he managed it with a Venn diagram. So okay. he broke everything down into small pieces that were defined, and he looked at all these projects as Venn diagrams. Well, I took that idea and I applied it to my own career at that point. I was midway okay. through a career, and I, re I, I observed that my Everything I had done up until then and everything I've done since then fell into this consistent Venn diagram. Yeah. My undergraduate uh, training was in science, so biology and biochemistry. Uh -huh. And then I had a brief, but for me, kind of pivotal career in architecture and design. Yeah. And then I got into, into business. And when I put those three bubbles together, uh -huh. that became my leadership process. I've started three private equity firms and they all 
fall into within that Venn diagram definition, science plus design plus business or organization. Yeah. So inside of your leadership legacy, what are you bringing forth? What are you, what are you working on right now? So right now, my colleagues and I run a business called Tilia Holdings, and yep. we are focused on innovation and, and processes in the food supply chain. This and connecting food to the prior firm that I ran, which is health. So food and health. Okay. And the purpose that we have uh, developed for this is we think of food as upstream from the healthcare spectrum. So it, it has tremendous effects on what you eat has tremendous effects on, on health. And you probably know these kinds of statistics. The number of people who are undernourished in the world has fallen dramatically because of successes in the development of the food industry. The number of people who are suffering from diabetes or pre-diabetes has gone up significantly because of the excess of food or other conditions that, that have developed. So we're focused on this connection between food and health. And we call okay. it the three P we call it the three P's. Okay. So our, the first thing that we my partner and I have really focused on is food safety, which we think of as public health. Okay. About 60 million people in the world they're in the U.S. every year suffer from some sort of foodborne illness. Okay. So having, say, food supply is a public health concern. Okay. The second P we call personal health, and that is nutrition and wellness. That's how we eat that affects our health. And then the third P is planetary health, which is sustainability and ways that the, the food industry, which accounts for about 30 to 40 percent of greenhouse gases, how it can affect the sustainability of the planet. So Public health, personal health, planetary health, the three Ps. That's our mission. Got it. Public, personal, and planetary. I love it. So you seem really clear about what you, uh, about your leadership and what you are looking to accomplish in our world. How did that become clear, right? I mean, you can look back now and you can see the Venn diagram. When did the Venn diagram first become clear? How did you see that? Well, I, it was before I had a Venn diagram. Okay. Early in my private equity career, I was kind of drawn to businesses that had some sort of science or technical okay. aspect mm -hmm. to them. Because while I don't consider myself a scientist, I know enough and I'm married to a scientist. So I have access to technical resources that can help me have some insights into these businesses that might otherwise not be interesting to people. So in the 80s and the 90s, I started to be interested in science-based companies. And that led me directly in the early 90s into healthcare, which is the biggest science-based industry in the in our GDP. It's about 20% of, of uh, American GDP. And so I got interested in healthcare in the at a time or began to focus on healthcare at a time when the Clinton administration was going through a, you know, kind of trying to revamp re American healthcare. And it scared a lot of investors because of the disruption that was, that might happen. And I figured if everybody's leaving, that would be a good time to get into it. So <laughs> I started investing in healthcare. Other people were investing in it prior to that, but I really began to focus on healthcare broadly defined in the early 90s. What I want to underscore about what you just said, Eric, is that you had this interest in science. 
and you didn't ignore it, even though there's not formal training or education, right? Like that's not your degree. That's not the area of your expertise. But you're like, I'm interested in that. I've got access to that. I can pull that component into what I'm doing. And also that there was interest in healthcare. There's an opportunity there. And even though it might've looked like, oh, everybody else is leaving, Right. I, I see something. I see something that could be pursued there and having the courage to pursue both of those, even though that's not my formal education. And that's not what everybody else is doing right now, mm-hmm. which is pretty exciting. So. I work with leaders to distinguish and to live into their leadership legacies. We know the arena of your leadership legacy, because when you bring science and business and design together, how do you describe that umbrella simply, clearly to others? Well, it, I, there are when, when we started Tilia, yeah. there were a lot of other firms that were investing already, either private equity firms or corporations that were already invested in the, in the food industry or making investments in the food industry. And so we didn't want to be a me too type of firm. We wanted to do something that was differentiated. And so the, the approach on food safety was really important to us because both my partner and I had had developed a very successful business, food safety business that we sold to a healthcare company. And we realized that these smaller businesses that we invest in who are selling services or products or ingredients to some of the biggest consumer products um, companies in the, in the country and in the world, for Nestle or Mars or Kellogg or Danone, any of those companies to be involved with one of our vendors, they have to be assured that our work is going to have good food safety practices. So we began with that. And that's, that has become sort of the first leg of differentiation for us. That okay. we want it to be different from what other people were doing in the, in the, in the food supply chain. We developed this notion that we would work in this very complex, long, and kind of hidden middle of the supply chain. So from where food is grown to where it's consumed is a complex, global, inefficient, changing, disrupting supply chain. And nobody else was focused exclusively on that. So we developed a tagline that, you know, this, this, this term farm to table or farm to fork. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to be the two. So anything that helps food along the supply chain and help ultimately get to the consumer products, good companies and their consumers. You are the two in farm to fork. Got it. Uh, Eric, I have more questions, but let me take a moment and tell listeners more about you. Eric Larson is Tilia's chairman, co-founder and co-CEO. And Eric started his career as a private equity investor and business builder in 1986. Prior to co-founding Tilia in 2017, 
Eric established Linden Life Science in 2002, now known as Linden Capital Partners, a leading healthcare-focused middle market private equity firm. Eric was Linden's chairman and, as its senior investment professional, developed the firm's strategy and organization. Before Linden, Eric was executive vice president, managing general partner, and co-founder of First Chicago Equity Capital, now One Equity Partners. And he began his private equity career as a partner and investment principal at First Chicago Venture Capital, now Madison Dearborn Partners. Lots of changes and dynamics in these industries that you've been in. In addition to Tilia, I just want to tell you, Eric is involved with several technically oriented organizations. He's a member of the Nutrition Roundtable for the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. He's a trustee and chairman of the Institute of Design for the Illinois Institute of Technology. He's an executive fellow for the Center for Higher Ambition Leadership and a member of the Commercial Club of Chicago. He's a pioneer and he's bringing design and science and business together in new and innovative ways. I'm glad you're here, Eric. Well, wow, that was a great introduction. And it, <laughs> when I was listening to that, it really does point out how these organizations that I was involved in long ago have changed over time. That's really the dynamic in our industry is you have to embrace that kind of change. Yes. And that brings up the question for me. You have a purpose, you have something that you are trying to create, and dynamics are changing in the industries, in the landscape, in all the parts of the two, in farm to fork, right? How do you how do you make sure that you are boldly living into your purpose, that you stay committed to what you want to stay committed to as things move and shift? I think of us as we're capitalists, so we're investing various different types of capital. I mean, in private equity, it's obvious that one of the forms of capital is financial capital that we manage. We're fiduciaries. We manage the capital that other uh, investors have entrusted to us. But that's only one of the four types of capital that we think well, we're responsible for. And in alphabetic order, that would be the second one, financial capital. Okay. The first is brand capital. And as I mentioned earlier, our portfolio companies are working on behalf of the biggest consumer uh, packaged goods or CPG companies in the world. And so we're helping to manage their brands. And so our customers' brands are important to us. And we look at customer satisfaction as one of the metrics of success. So brand capital, then financial capital for on behalf of our investors. That's what a good, a good investor return looks like. We can measure that from start to finish of our ownership period. The third cap type of capital that we're managing is human capital. And that's the employees who work in the businesses that we're involved with. And I'm throughout my career, I've been struck by this rather bleak survey that Gallup does every year that shows that two-thirds of employees are dissatisfied with their job. So I feel if there's a role that we can play in improving the employee engagement and employee satisfaction during the time that we own these businesses, that's capital that is well-managed. And then the last form is what we call social capital. And that is the engagement of our companies in the communities that they're involved in, whether they are working with a local food bank, donating some of their food, 
other kinds of volunteer work. That, it, that is up to them. But we think of all four of those types of capital as what our, our portfolio companies are responsible for. Nice. I know that you have the courage of a leader. I understand that you want leaders of competence and courage in your organization. I know you're focused on attracting, inspiring, and retaining top talent. So many of you requested an assessment to see where you are as a leader and where your team could be in terms of their success. So we have built for you the Inspire Your Team assessment. You can find this assessment at courageofaleader.com slash inspire your team. There's also a link in the show notes. When you take the assessment, which will only take you about 10 minutes to complete, you'll get a customized set of recommendations about how you can build leaders of competence and courage in your organization. You'll also be helping me out. This will be absolutely free. I just ask that you tell at least one person about the value you created for yourself through the assessment process. And you'll be giving me valuable research for my next article on the courage of a leader for pillars. Thank you so much. Click on the link in the show notes to take the assessment and help me out. You will be glad you did. I was excited in one of our last conversations, Eric, about how you look across uh, the different companies in your portfolio and you find ways to create synergies, economies of scale, collaboration. Can you tell us about how you how you do that, how you look at the the landscape inside of your portfolio? Well, it, this is what's been really interesting about the, the strategy that Tilly is involved with compared to the 30 plus years of portfolio companies before that. Tilly companies hang together as part of a supply chain. So we yeah. have we have food safety testing, a food safety testing business. We have a cold storage and logistics business. We have several different types of ingredients, contract manufacturing, packaging, other kinds of, of alternative processing and services. They have many of the same end customers. Okay. So yeah. we can treat them in some respects as if we're the owner of a holding company that has these different divisions and we can help with their customer relationships. We can help with their employee recruiting and benefits. Many of these things other private equity firms do as well. But the thing that hangs together for the, the Tilly portfolio companies is they have the same uh, set of end customers. Yeah. And that makes it very exciting for them to engage with one another. We like nothing more than to have the CEOs of our portfolio companies talking about their next assign, their next meeting that they're going to have with one of the big uh, CPGs. We like the the heads of HR to be talking to each mm-hmm. other about the employee practices and the challenges that they have. We like the the chief commercial officers to be discussing innovations and opportunities that are coming to the marketplace. In the last several years, we realized that uh, many of these companies are, many of the big companies, the biggest food, uh, CPGs in the in the country, in the world, are coming to our little companies asking for help with innovation in the supply chain. So it's interesting. Their resources are so large, but the the they're looking to our companies to help for 
innovations and ideas that can make their supply chain more efficient. So this year we launched a an organization that we call within Tilia that we call the Tilia Innovation Collaboratory. Yeah, we, this is exciting. <laughs> with the help of an innovation scientist, we created a framework of innovation just for Tilia. And then we made up this word collaboratory, which is really focuses on the natural collaboration that happens in the food supply chain. And the fact that each one of our, that's collaboration, and that each yeah. one of our portfolio companies can act like a laboratory or a pilot project for improving things in the supply chain. So we put all that together. We uh, hired a, an organ, uh, a woman to run this organization for us, and we are launching these innovation projects at each one of our portfolio companies. Our upcoming board meeting, which is around strategy and our value creation plans, the first round of these innovation intents will, from each one of the portfolio companies will be presented at the board meetings. So we're very excited about this. I, I I love this. I'm I'm excited about it too, Eric. You know, I'm I'm a fan of efficiency and effectiveness, right? And I think that this is really a neat opportunity. You have a diverse portfolio, but it's diversification inside of a single supply chain. So, like you said, everybody has the same customer. So it, it enables you to bring everybody together to innovate for the same purpose. And I'm realizing as you were talking, like how many distinct organizations don't do this, right? You've got all the functions inside of an organization, you know, like kind of translating this for all of you leaders out there inside of whatever company you are inside of. Uh, you've got different departments and functions inside of your organization. You're all serving the same customer and we miss opportunities to collaborate and to discuss, right? Why isn't the head of operations in this division talking to the head of operations in this division and sharing ideas? Many organizations get some centers of excellence going. And I think often we're, we're missing, we're missing the mark, right? And having that collaboration even inside of our own organization, let alone what you're trying to do with the Tilia Innovation Collaboratory to innovate across companies. What do you think has that working when even so many single companies can struggle with that? I don't know yet. We haven't seen the result of it, so we don't know what will work and what will just sound like good ideas and what, what will be the equivalent of dry holes that we're, that, that we're drilling. Okay. The, the ability to engage the customers in talking about things that are really troubling for them that they need to fix that it, it's it's a way to tighten the the relationship with the customers who are looking for this kind of help and i tie it back to the experience that we had 25 years ago in healthcare where big companies were merging and then out of those expensive merger decisions came some cost rationalization where they outsourced some services that they used to do internally. And that created a tremendous first time kind of a new wave of, of investment opportunities for private equity. The food industry is going through the same thing. There's a set of outsourced technical mission critical services that our companies can provide to the biggest uh, consumer 
packaged goods companies. Nice. Nice. And we will know we will know that it's working when you know we we come up with new, with new ways of of uh, solving their problems of things that that are I don't know if it makes them stay awake at night, but it's it's maybe making things a little bit less efficient. Yeah. So to translate this for all leaders out there looking at how can you collaborate in new ways with other functions inside of your organization with other organizations. Right. I'm I'm working with an innovation leader right now inside of a beauty company, right? And they are creating all kinds of new partnerships uh, out in the organization. So no longer do we just need to know what's going on inside of our firms, what's going on outside of our firms, what our entities and academics, universities, other companies that we can partner with. And what are the what are the problems you most want to fix, right? And I'm thinking like bring a lab to your group, right? What are what are you experimenting with? So you have found, Eric, a very it's it's a niche I'm excited about. And I'm glad that you and Tilia are are playing in this supply chain arena. What advice would you give for leaders who want to understand? their niche, right? They want to arrive at this place, clearly understand who they are and what they're contributing to their company or to our world. Well, to draw a little bit from your, from the book that you've written and and other books like this, which by the way, I really appreciate uh, the courage of of a leader. Um, Yeah. I, I think it really begins with understanding the purpose. And yeah. I, I, I think of uh, Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, where uh-huh. he, he observed that companies that kind of fall off the, the, the track are the ones that lose sight of, the, of, of their purpose or their why. Uh-huh. So, and that takes a little bit of time. But I would say from our experience, many of the companies that we invest in have very good margins. They've got very good customer relationships, but they, never, they have never taken the time to really explore what is their purpose? Yeah. What is what is the mission that they alone are trying to achieve? And how are they differentiating themselves in the market? Those are all things that companies like Boston Consulting Group and Bain and McKinsey and other firms like that can help with. But ultimately, it comes back to the leader to be able to develop that clarity of purpose, to create the narrative around it, and then say it over and over and over, both internally and externally. Yeah. And I would say no matter where, leader, listener, you are positioned within your organization, what's the purpose for your sphere of influence? Right. If you're the executive, what's the what's the purpose for the overall enterprise? If you're a a leader with a team of two, what is the purpose for your group and how are you enabling a bigger picture purpose and then staying committed to that. Why is that so important, Eric, to know our why? It's what holds the organization together. It's the the, yeah. the gravity that brings everybody together. When I went to business school, I, I had no business background whatsoever. And I thought it was all about finance. I thought, then mm-hmm. that, that, I just thought it was all about finance. And, and when I got out of business school, my finance got me into the private equity world but what I have learned about the successful 
organizations that I've been involved with, and maybe the un- I've learned the counter lesson from the unsuccessful ones is that they have the successful ones have two things in common. One is they've got a very clear sense of purpose, and two, uh, they have built an organization around around that sense of purpose. And the skill that I didn't learn in business school that would have been really useful <laughs> was the skill of narrative, storytelling, communicating. Um, That's really the leader's responsibility, ultimately, to come up with that that clarity of purpose, to develop the narrative around it, and then tell that story over and over again. I did a, a strategy with Boston Consulting Groups, a consulting group in the 90s, and the project manager said to me, you will know your strategy has taken root when you overhear a conversation in the hallway where people are using the same words you'd use and you are not part of that conversation. Then, yeah. you, know, then you know you've repeated enough times for it to, to have taken hold. Yes. That's the responsibility. Yes, it lives beyond the conversations that you're personally a part of. Really great, Eric. I want to underscore a few things you just said. A purpose is important. I love your word gravity. It creates that gravity, that groundedness. I mean, we're talking about the industries that you have worked in and there are shifting dynamics and things changing all the time. And that purpose provides that gravity. What are we up to inside of this space so that our purpose doesn't scope or change or go off on on tangents? We're clear about what that is. And we use it for decision-making, right? You said you build the organization around it. You use it as guidance for all decisions and the importance of being able to have the narrative, being able to share out with different kinds of audiences about who you are and what you're up to and why. Thank you, Eric, for joining me on the Courage of a Leader podcast. So much good tactical advice. And thank you for the work that you are doing in our world. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun to talk with you about this. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for listening to the Courage of a Leader podcast. If you'd like to further explore this episode's topic, please reach out to me through the Courage of a Leader website at www.courageofaleader.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please take the time to leave a review on iTunes. That helps us expand our reach and get more people fully stepping into their leadership potential. Until next time, be bold and be brave because you've got the courage of a leader.